is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so very much for tuning into my show, America Can We Talk, and also to tonight's first five. I want to be the first to say Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. I like saying that. But I want to talk in this first segment, in fact, a lot of this first hour, about not just what happened over the time period that we were all watching the nomination process in Washington, but you probably know the Democrats think that this whole episode is going to help them in the midterms. They think that they have managed to enrage the public so much that this entire episode is going to help them in the 2018 midterms. And I'm going to tell you, folks, Republicans need to, number one, view this as a fabulous opportunity to draw a contrast between the two parties. What Republicans stand for, which is civility, constitutional rule of law, law and order, and left-wing America, which is mob rule. This is a contrast. Republicans need to go out affirmatively, assertively, and point to this episode not as a day we're kind of hanging our heads or not too sure of ourselves. The Republicans did exactly the right thing to confirm Justice Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And it's important that we take that mode, that, that attitude from the start. I want to tell you very quickly why. I'm going to talk about a lot of different aspects of this tonight. But I want to start by if you didn't follow all of the detail now available to the public, if you choose to dive in and read, one, just there's an enormous set of, of, of um, uh, impact, enormous impact on this nomination because of a letter written by uh, the accuser of Judge Kavanaugh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, uh, a boyfriend, six-year boyfriend, wrote a letter to the Senate, which is now putting into question every single word of her testimony. And this is where I think Republicans have to be strong. It is amazing, Chairman, who who thought I would ever be saying on this show, I'm always touting conservatives, but thank goodness for Senator Grassley, not usually my hero. Thank goodness for Lindsey Graham, not usually my hero. And thank goodness for, for Senator from Maine Collins, Susan Collins. All of them were stellar this week. But the boyfriend's letter has called into question not just particular points of, of dispute, not just particular, you know, did, did this happen or is this true or was this accurate or not, but actually the entire story, which I believe was concocted by Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, her best friend from high school, who was in on this discussion from the start. Uh, in fact, this boyfriend, uh, the boyfriend's letter names this uh, high school friend and um, talk about her in a moment. But she, the high school friend, was an FBI agent and a lawyer for the FBI. And when you put together the pieces that this letter, this uh, boyfriend's letter uh, makes clear, what seems to have happened was that this friend of hers from high school, uh, this, um, I can't believe I can't leave her name. It's it, M.M. or her initials, Monica McLean. There you go. Monica McLean was her friend since 12th grade. The boyfriend said, I saw Dr. Christine Blasey Ford years ago coaching Monica McLean about how to deceive a polygraph, how to take a polygraph and dupe the polygraph. And yet, in her testimony, 
Dr. Ford kind of said, I, I never had a polygraph before. I don't know one thing about them. I don't know any, I don't have any idea how they work. Wouldn't know how to deceive one. This was a woman who had, who knew that she was lying when she said it. She knew she had actually worked with Monica, her friend from high school, Monica McLean. Years ago, she knew exactly how to dupe a polygraph. The boyfriend's letter also said that this story that was concocted by her and her lawyers, that she had never been um, very, very uncomfortable flying, couldn't really, didn't want to have to come and testify because she was going to have to drive because she was afraid to fly. That was another bald-faced lie. Boyfriend points out that, that she lived in, she, Dr. Ford, lived in Hawaii and flew around on those little, tiny, scary Prop jets. I mean, I fly. My husband and I fly all the time. I don't like those little planes. I, I mean, they're kind of creepy. They're kind of small. She flew on them all the time. She flew all the time. This is a major, this is a, a character questioning incident that she lied about flying. She lied about not knowing about her, about the um, uh, polygraphs. She would not turn over. Her lawyers would not turn over the polygraph test results, would not turn over her therapist notes. Um, she, she was... Um, she was trying to remain anonymous, yet contacting Washington Post, all sorts of places. She could remember, I had a perfect memory of this alleged incident in 1982, but like nothing else around it. For example, how the heck she got home when she ran out of the house miles from her own home. Cell phones didn't exist then. No explanation, no memory. And the other big thing was this friend from high school lived in Rehoboth, Delaware. It's a beach place. We've been there before. Rehoboth is where Dr. Christine Ford, in her testimony under oath in the Senate, they asked her, where were you when you wrote this letter? Wrote this letter laying out this accusation against Brett Kavanaugh. She was in Rehoboth, as was a newspaper account points out, because pictures in the newspaper at the time, as was her best friend from high school, the former FBI agent who hates Trump so much that she quit the FBI when Trump won the election. So Monica, 12th grade friend, all the way through, coached her on the polygraph, sitting in, and, and folks, we're going to zip off to a break, and we come back, I'm going to tell you more, but this needs to be, we need to investigate further. Debbie George asked, American Capital Talk, come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. 
With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, we've been talking about this Kavanaugh Supreme Court nomination and confirmation process for a few weeks now. He was uh, nominated on July 9th. But there are so many things. This show really is dedicated not to just the news of the week, but this bigger, stronger idea of preserving America. And there are so many important lessons we've all got to figure out from this episode Say out loud, tell our friends, a lot is going to be uh, dependent on women, because right now the polling is showing that men watching this Kavanaugh hearing uh, who are on the fence are moving toward the Republican Party because they don't like the vision of being accused by someone with no proof, no accusation, and everyone acts like you have to believe it. But women are a little less sure. And, and so I want to talk about why these things matter so much be, but more than just beyond that we have Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. So to f- start with, there are many, many bases on which very logical people will conclude that Christine Blasey Ford and her friend from high school, Monica, 
made up this accusation in an effort to make sure that because they're rather they're leftist. These are these are leftist ladies. By the way, she also Christine Ford scrubbed, removed her whole social media presence from uh, from social media before she made the accusation. She knew people would start to look, and so she took away um, the. Um, you know, the the uh, evidence of her, her political minds, her political orientation. She named four people at the allegedly at that party that night. All of them said never happened, wasn't there, didn't happen. Other kind of amazing things that came out yesterday um, over the last couple of days. Christine Blasey's Ford's lawyer, Ford's lawyers talked to Dana Bash from CNN, you know, just obnoxious liberal Dana Bash, CNN. And they said... Christine Blasey Ford, after all of this, has no interest in pursuing any further action against Judge Kavanaugh. No interest in filing a complaint. No interest in filing a lawsuit. Does not even want him to be impeached. Get that again. Christine Blasey Ford, after all of this, said through her lawyers, she has no interest in seeing Judge Kavanaugh impeached. And that's just the same process as a president could be impeached when you have, you know, the Constitution provides a method for that. So you have the House um, would have to vote for it, uh, vote to impeach and the Senate remove. They could do that to a Supreme Court justice. And a lot of the Democrats, uh, the big mouth Democrats have been saying they're going to consider this. Blasey Ford saying no, 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 no. Also, Senator Feinstein, probably one of the leaders of the Democrat mob inside the Senate who put this whole charade on for the country, Feinstein is has made a motion to keep that seventh and last FBI investigation that they insisted upon that held up the vote. Remember, we had the Judiciary Committee voted. They voted yes. But uh, Senator Flake, the aptly named Jeff Flake, spoke up and said, oh, I think we need one more investigation. One more look in, into all this story. So they did it again. They had the seventh investigation. And th- and so the results of that investigation are back now in the hands of the Senate and Feinstein, Diane Feinstein, the, the Democrat senator who had this story from Blasey Ford since July and exposed it, brought it out after the whole hearing process was over. She is moving, along with Coons, the two of them, moving to keep this FBI investigation from being released to the public. Why, why would that be? I mean, I mean, if it bore out what they said, I think it shows that if anything— Blasey Ford has less credibility than we already know she has. And in fact, the uh, the report may have stories of other people um, who uh, were involved in cooking up this story. This, folks, is a I, I mean, I don't even know what word to use, but it is it was a hoax. It was a, it was a set play by the Democrats. It was a complete complete tarnishing and sullying of the severe of the seriously majestic constitutional process through which judges are supposed to be selected. Now I'll tell you something else. There is going to be an ongoing Senator Grassley is just not letting this die. Thank goodness for him. Senator Grassley is pushing to look into what happened uh like how did the how did the complaint letter get released to the press? I mean Blasey Ford says she didn't do it. She gave it to her congresswoman, her senator, and somehow the press had it. How? There's there's a tiny universe of people 
who could have been the culprits. And so he's pressing on that. He's actually pressing for, um, he wanted, this is again, Senator Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, is pressing in light of the boyfriend's letter. Um, he's pressing for um, the release of the polygraph exam which they won't release. He's saying, no, I want to see it, actually. You know, he said you took a polygraph. We get to see it. He's really pushing to question Christine Blasey Ford's um, integrity, and I think he should. He's seeking information from her. He wants full details of the polygraph, a polygraph knowing they're particularly important in light of uh, the boyfriend's um, statement. He's also... Um, uh, he's also pressing for, I've got to find the part I want to tell you, um, he seems focused on obtaining all this material that they asked for, including notes from the psychologist. And i got to tell you, there are a certain number of Republicans, I'm sure, who are saying, look, we got Kavanaugh on the court, uh, and we're done, let's march on. But folks, it would be enormously helpful to the Republican Party for the American people to see in fuller, you know, full color and bold color how audacious the Democrat scheme was, how audaciously Senator Feinstein has acted in this case, how audaciously the Democrats on that committee, who likely in varying degrees knew exactly what was happening. But now I want to turn to what I'm talking about, what should happen and how the Republicans need to use this in the fall elections. You saw on display in Washington the mob rule. The mob, you saw people banging on the door of the Supreme Court. You just, just have just a meltdown, hysterical uh, banging on the door. You saw them disrupting the hearing, even disrupting the vote. And, and understand, people did not, str- you know, just strangers did not get to wander in and get a seat in the Senate gallery during the vote for this nomination. These are people permitted or invited by somebody on that committee. So those Democrats do not get to say, well, gee, we invited some really great people. We're so surprised they misbehaved. The We have to hold the Senate Democrats accountable for the conduct of the people in the um, in the gallery. And that includes, there was a great piece, by the way. In fact, everything I talk about my show is posted on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. And, and one of them, there was a great piece by um, J. Christian Adams, who was there for the hearing. He was talking about how the, the, the enti- you couldn't even hear everything on television that you could hear while you were there. He said they sounded these guttural screaming like animals, like crazy people. And there was chanting during the time they're trying to take the solemn vote for a Supreme Court justice. These people in the gallery invited by the Democrats are chanting, I do not consent. Okay, who asked you? I mean, these, so they had to be physically dragged out Oh, and, and by the way, if you didn't know, over this period of time, the three days leading up to the vote, how many people were arrested? The Capitol Police had to arrest and, and get again, all on the Democrat side, all on the anti-Kavanaugh side, 567 protesters in just the three days leading up to the confirmation hearing. And I tell you that to say that these people are unhinged. They are the result. We're going to turn the next segment and talk about a lot of how they behave is the result of the radical feminist, the militant Me Too, and I want to use the word tribalist about the Me Too movement. 
These are people who do not want the American people to think. They don't want their followers to think. They want them to behave like a lab rat when you tell them, you, you give the lab rat the, the um, signal. I don't know if you ever took in, in, in uh, college in psychology, you took those courses where you could train a rat. You know, if he touched this part of the cage, then that part of the cage, then he got a, a food or something. These are, these are lab rat trained type females who were hysterically just out of their minds over the idea that someone who'd been accused of sexual assault, for which there was no evidence, in fact, every bit of evidence pointed to by the accuser, fell apart. But yet these people were saying, because this, this accusation's been made, the guy can't be on the court. It doesn't matter if there's no evidence. It doesn't matter if it appears actually to have been made up. They were trying to push the idea that if you're a guy and you're accused of sexual assault, you are guilty because accused. This is the mindset of the left. And we, on the conservative side, we need to make the Democrats in that Senate Judiciary Committee and Washington own this mob behavior. The way they talk about these issues, the way they talk about this uh, nominee, the way the entire process unfolded, they encouraged these, these ignorant, Me Too, militant tribalists to engage in mob behavior. And we need to be arguing to the American people, these people cannot be in charge of this country. They cannot even handle, in an adult manner, following the Constitution's provisions for a a hearing in the Senate to confirm a justice for the United States Supreme Court. If they can't handle that, if they can't handle that, they cannot be in charge of anything else. I'm Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. Come right back. If you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. 
Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, from free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You know, another thing I, I think is so important to keep to ponder about how we got here, how we got here, where we had literally, you know, 500, whatever the number was, people, 567 people in Washington, mostly women, arrested because they are protesting the confirmation to the Supreme Court of a man that none of them know, none of them have any idea what he was like in high school, none of them were at the party that with this allegation was, was made, that Dr. Christine Ford made, none of them have any idea at all about him. Their argument is because they know that in their lives they were the victim of sexual assault or else somebody else they know was the victim of sexual assault or else they could have been or some friend of theirs was or they've read a lot about it. They are asking people to make the logical leap that says, because I know this happens and because historically women have not been believed when they should have been, which is true, which is true. There has been a problem and we have in our society, we have encouraged women to speak up. We encourage uh, victims to speak up. We encourage investigation by the police. We encourage prosecution where appropriate. This is, you know, this is a major uh, development in American society where we are now. But these women are saying, because it happened to somebody else, I am going to decide that er that I believe this accuser, whom I do not know, 
I have no idea what she's like. No idea if she had any other motivation to make this accusation. And that everybody else must believe her. All senators must believe her or else they're anti-women, they are hateful, they are, you know, they're, they're part of the sex assault problem, and they're, 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 you know, all the words they fling at people. And this is, this is not even kindergarten-level reasoning. And this is what I'm getting at about what we have, what we, so much we have to do as a society to learn from this and to move forward from this. We cannot ever agree that the presumption of innocence... The concept of due process, the right to present a defense, is eliminated if a certain group of people is castigated by another group of people. Because that's what these women are saying. They're saying, because we know sex assault is real, we know other people it's happened to, so, and we're upset about it, so everyone must see it the way we do it. Everyone must agree. Folks, if you have that, I started a little hashtag talking about this, protect our sons, every woman looking at this, instead of siding with the Me Too militant mob, the tribalist mob of the American left, and this is very tribal thinking on on women's part, they ought to be thinking, what standard can we and must we as a society insist on so we don't have people falsely accused We don't have people punished for things they didn't do. We do allow women to air their grievances, their their, uh, accusations, and then we investigate them. But this entire mindset, it is like a lynch mob. It is no different than those lynch mobs you would read about in the South decades ago where an allegation was made against a black man or a black teenager or or a black boy. And because the allegation was made and the person being accused is someone that society has agreed is a bad guy, lynch, lynchings would happen. This is a lynch mob by the American left of all men. This is a lynch mob by these women because they're essentially saying it doesn't matter what the facts are. He has no right to offer a defense of himself, and you all must agree he's guilty and keep him off the court. And this was, I am so proud of the Republicans and the Judiciary Committee, so proud of this nominee who said from the start nothing like this ever happened, so proud of President Trump for not backing down, because this is something the American left believes it can clobber American society with. These accusations like this, they're so... You know, they're so prone to to terrible headlines and 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 people don't want to be falsely accused and they don't want to be the one that are going to be described as having accommodated this kind of behavior in any way. So people too timidly back down. I want to tell you, I keep talking about this mob mentality and I really want to drive home what I'm talking about. So there is a, a in The New York Times, they permitted they printed an editorial by someone named Alexis Grinnell. She's the co-founder of the Pythia public, a political and public affairs firm. Now, this is not some goofball, you know, University of Wisconsin left-wing student newspaper. The New York Times permitted this as an opinion piece to be printed in their newspaper that essentially argues, in fact, one term they use, this author used is women who don't side with Christine Ford. Women who dared to support Judge Kavanaugh, dared to suggest that he had a right to defend himself, dared to suggest that we don't abandon the presumption of innocence. She describes those women as gender traitors. 
traitor, like a traitor to your country, you know, and you're a traitor and you sell secrets to your enemy. Gender traitors. And then she specifically goes on a long attack about white women. And she's talking about white women using their racial privilege ahead of their second class gender status by voting to uphold a system that values only whiteness, just as they have for decades. The whole piece, it is up at AmericaCanWeTalk.org. You can check all the links to what we talked about today. But this woman, the article is called White Women, Come Get Your People. This is a this is a product of the American university system today. This is a woman who sees an accusation by somebody she doesn't know against someone else she doesn't know, but everyone she thinks she's justified and she's feeling she's written from an attitude of moral high ground, just demeaning and completely unglued attack Susan Collins, Senator Susan Collins from Maine, for the audacity to actually review this judicial nominee's opinions, read them, assess them, conclude what she thinks about them, and then decide to vote for him, which is her job as a senator. It is to do exactly what Susan Collins did, to take seriously her obligation to read, to assess, to decide what she thinks of this candidate. But this is not okay. Conducting yourself in an adult manner under the constitutional provision that the Senate must provide advice and consent, this is not okay with this author. She's calling women who would dare support Judge Kavanaugh to become a Supreme Court justice gender traitors. I mean, the the piece is so ugly, so mean, but this is the result. This is a result of the mindset in American universities over the I mean, over the decades, since since many of us were in school, where all of what they learn about is all about America's a bad place, it's full of bad people, everyone's a victim, they major in things that are intended to just, to just implant the victim mentality in their heads, in their minds, and then they, this is how they see the world. They can't even reason. They can't use common sense and reason because they've lost their ability to do that because their entire focus, their their view of the world is who's the victim class here? Who's the victim class? That's who's cyber on. Who is the the white privileged, male privileged person? He's a bad guy. Facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. You know, nothing matters but their agenda. This is this is the corruption and destruction of America's culture. It is the destruction of our system, of, of, of our whole system of government, our system of laws, our system of, of, of fact-finding. This is just an—and and these people are—they are taught by and motivated by the left-wing mindset that lives and moves to inspire people to see themselves, to find their proctor, proper victim status, cling to it for dear life, see the world through that lens— it was kind of funny because I'm going to get on in the last um, part of this first hour to something that happened at, I'm sorry to report, Harvard and Yale Law Schools, where even those people who should be learning something about the the notion of the presumption of innocence, the importance of due process, the function of the Constitution, but those law schools, the the protests, and it wasn't even just the students, I'm really sorry to report, wasn't even just the students. It is the law professors, law professors 
getting on board with this, we don't decide things anymore in America's system based on facts and evidence and testimony. We decide based on accusation and proper deciding who's the victim class we're going to support here. You know the guy who, I I don't know if he still calls himself a comedian or maybe thinks he's a commentator, whatever, Bill Maher. He even said in relation to this case, it's kind of scary that things have changed from listen to women who say they were wronged to women must automatically be believed. This is the argument the American left is making to you and to all of America that women, if they make an accusation, they must be believed. Folks, we can't go there. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. If you're watching on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. I'll be right back right after this. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you 
to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Okay, enough of them, enough of them. Okay, I want you to hear, I, I had, there are so many clips. If you go to YouTube, you can pick up a lot of clips and, and listen to what these people were chanting in Washington. But, you know, I will tell you that the, obviously the people who care about women who've been victims of sexual assault, you never want to say, you know, the message to sound like we don't care because we do. Everyone cares about that. Every woman, and frankly, Virtually every man, of course we care about it. We don't want those kind of things to ever happen to anyone. But that does not mean, because we have a, a, an intentional protectiveness of women, that we just simply must accept at face value what they say. And then uh, the, the contortion of the left is, and then therefore they're entitled to attack anyone who won't agree with their judgment in a particular case. And the left has become so unhinged. I'm telling you, folks, this is a winning argument for the Republicans in this fall election to say we cannot be ruled by mob rule. And the mob was outside the Senate. The chanters you just heard then banging the Supreme Court doors. They were interrupt. They were disrupting the, the Senate proceedings. They had to be dragged out during the testimony and during the vote. But we, other things happening behind the scene I heard about. I was uh, over the weekend, I was um, back east and met just a political thing, met with a lot of different people. One particular thing I heard about is this. So Susan Collins is the, you know, notoriously unreliable Republican senator from Maine. By that I mean, you know, she's not conservative. She's barely Republican. She's often the one, if the Republicans are all on board for a tax cut or some other thing, She's she, along with a couple of others, Lisa Murkowski being the other main culprit. You just never know what they'll do. They seem unreliable. But but Susan Collins actually did her job, as I mentioned in the previous segment, did her job, assessed where, you know, what this judge had done, writing his opinions. And I did, by the way, if you go to our website, America can we talk dot org, I put up a link to her 
the, the transcript of Susan Collins' 45-minute speech on the floor of the Senate essentially saying, I did my constitutional job. I read the opinions. I talked to him. I reviewed issues. I talked to others. And I think he's qualified to serve. So for that, Susan Collins is now, there, there was, uh, leading up to the vote, a GoFundMe group that was essentially putting itself together saying if she dared to vote for Kavanaugh, if she dared to vote with the Republicans with Kavanaugh, for Kavanaugh, they would primary her. And so now that the thing has $4 million in her, something like that, I mean, the people are just, so she's getting a lot of pressure. But even worse than that, and what I want to get to again, talking about this mob mindset, Mob rule is the opposite of the rule of law. It is the absence of the rule of law. It is what we try to overthrow when we set up this country. But Susan Collins, in her United States Senate office, her staffers are being threatened. I was at an event where they were reading some of the emails they've been receiving, threatening emails, not just to her, but to people in her staff, People, the senators need like assistance, like protection to leave the Senate to go home. The the left is unhinged, and the the American voters can not reward that this fall. We have to make the case to fellow women, to everyone, that we cannot reward this. They've got to understand that they that it is dealing with it. Today's Democrat Party, I mean the the anti-American left, which isn't all Democrats, but it's most anti-American left, is like dealing with terrorists. It never, never, never helps to capitulate. It never helps to offer an olive branch. It never helps to offer compromise. They are the current anti-American left in Washington, so far off the American playing field, so far anti-American that there's no reasoning. So Susan Collins' office being harassed by, um, by protesters who are just outraged that she dared to do her job as a senator. There was also Rand Paul's wife um, wrote a letter, Kelly Paul, wrote a letter to Cory Booker, who has been horrible. The the U.S. Senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, wants to run for president in 2020 uh, and has been horrible in this proceeding. You know, perfectly willing to attack uh, Judge Kavanaugh didn't care if there was no evidence whatsoever about the uh, the allegations against him. In fact, came out during the course of this of this process and said, "This is Senator Cory Booker." Said, "You know, I mean, after all the division has been caused in America and all of the angst and upset, I think we just have to start fresh with a new candidate." Let me translate for you. What he's saying is because we have pilloried and and destroyed Kavanaugh with false accusations and and we have just been hysterical on camera we've worked the American public the the left-wing American public into an insensible lather and they're so angry that means that we have to Kavanaugh has to be removed in, in, in or in plain English we've destroyed him so now he has to go away and, and so it, it's like and, and you think that if we had some other nominee come up that they wouldn't do something similar. The point of the Democrats' protest against Kavanaugh was never Kavanaugh. It was never anything about Kavanaugh. It was about the idea of not wanting to permit the President Trump to get a fifth justice on the Supreme Court to make a relatively solid conservative majority. And you know what's a really ironic thing about this? 
is that Kavanaugh is really very centrist. He's not a particularly strong constitutional conservative. He's better than a lot of them. I mean, he's better than other judges, better than Merrick Garland. He's not a really rock-solid conservative. But the Democrats' determination to destroy Kavanaugh had nothing to do with Kavanaugh. It had everything to do with trying to prevent a full complement of judges on the Supreme Court to rule on the cases that are coming up this session. Coming up now, and so now Kavanaugh will join the court on Tuesday. So anyway, Rand Paul's wife wrote a letter to uh, Cory Booker and said, America has never been like this. You know, your actions, your words, your agitation, your conduct— is working people into where we are we are in danger. You have Senator Cruz couldn't even sit in a restaurant with his wife in Washington. So this is there's a lot of extreme, extreme poor behavior on the part of the Democrats in Washington. It is the job of Republicans to tell your friends, tell everyone you can think of, tell your friends that we either gonna have America as we know it, with the rule of law, constitutional process, or we're going to have the mob rule of the American left. But you can't, you, I mean, they're utter opposites. If the Democrats were in charge, if, the, if we possibly permit them to be in charge after these fall elections, and I'm going to turn and talk to you about the fall elections in just a moment, but you know, we, then we're inviting this problem. I was going to tell you, I mentioned something about Yale and Harvard. Honest to goodness, you know, I don't even think we ought to think that these are necessarily producing the most well-qualified lawyers in the country. I'm talking about their law schools. They, they aren't necessarily producing the most qualified, but they're certainly the ones more likely to be nominated by presidents of both parties um, into ju- uh, to serve in the federal courts, to serve as judges, to perhaps end up on the Supreme Court. So these people should have the most respect, the highest regard for our Constitution. But instead, instead, at least at last count, 1,700 law professors have signed an open letter complaining about Judge Kavanaugh um, and in responding to uncooperated sexual assault accusations against him. He's had 12 years on the bench. He's been ample evidence of judicial temperament. He's gotten his clerks, his friends from high school, college, law school, adult life, his kids' school, just just hundreds of women coming forward saying, he's a great guy, what are you even talking about? But these law professors signed on to say that he lacked the temperament and shouldn't be, shouldn't be on the court. This is a result of decades of identity politics and victim ideology substituting for actual learning in our colleges and law schools. Right after uh, Trump nominated Kavanaugh in July, hundreds of Yale law students signed a petition claiming this nomination presented an emergency for our safety. These people, they, they aren't even sane. I'm telling you, folks, there is just a need to, to seize on this nomination. Do not let this story pass. Do not say, oh, my goodness, thank goodness we're over that. Can we move on and talk about the border wall or something not controversial? The Democrats showed their colors. These people live in the world of identity politics, victim ideology. So you had these Yale morons signing on a petition against him before they knew a thing about him. And then when uh, Christine Blasey Ford's allegations came out, Yale actually had 
Yale students, law students, had a town hall to combat a culture on campus that privileges power and prestige over safety and wellness and precludes many of us from flourishing in this space. I mean, they should have been expelled. I'm telling you, in the, I, I went to Georgetown Law School, and we didn't do any of this kind of stuff. I mean, there just wasn't this notion that you could just disrupt the expectation of professors to be in class, to show up for your test, to show up for whatever you're supposed to do, because you were too upset about a Supreme Court nominee. These people have been coddled at this point in time since probably ninth grade, and now they're in law school, and they can't even figure out on what basis a a nominee to the Supreme Court should be assessed. Let me go on Harvard Law students. Harvard Law students began wearing pink buttons declaring, I believe Christine Blasey Ford. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, this believe the survivor mantra is so full of hogwash. It is a conclusory statement. It assumes her allegations are true, and therefore she's a survivor, and otherwise, she was now, she's not a survivor unless the, the, her story was true, which it appears it is not. But when I come back from the break, we're going to go back to offer a break pretty quickly here. And I want to mention that all that I'm talking about here is the need to have the insistence on to let, this, let all of the facts and the bad behavior by the American left be part of what we all understand about what happened in this nomination. Be part of what we understand we argue about in the midterm elections that we cannot have a country run by the left-wing media mob. I'm Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. If you're on Facebook Live, come back right after the top of the hour. Be right back. Oh, 